stories brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm your host, Johnny T. And today, my guest is Daryl Rogers. At the age of 19, Daryl began a career as a corporate pilot. He served as a medic in the Army National Guard and became a co-pilot gunner on the AH-64 Apache attack helicopter. Today, Daryl fights a different type of war as a speaker, author, and family recovery coach specializing in working with parents of children struggling with a substance abuse disorder. Daryl also serves on the State Advisory Board of the North Carolina Mothers Against Drug Trafficking. Daryl, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here with you, Johnny. First off, let me thank you for your service. It's underappreciated these days, and I just want to take that time to acknowledge your service and to thank you for that. Thank you so much. I took a look at your website, and one of the things that you talked about was igniting the hope. Hmm. And so I wanted to ask you how that relates to your story and how that relates to you personally. Like, what was your journey that led towards that? And was your faith in God part of that journey, or did your faith in God come after that point in your life that you're going to talk about in your story? Yeah, it was actually part of my journey, and I'm a preacher's kid. So my dad was a Southern Baptist preacher, a couple of different small town churches, and then a a country church that I considered my home. So I grew up in church and I was saved when I was really young, but really had parents who were a great example, a great Christian example, and really walked the walk. And that made a big impression on me. And So I was really blindsided with the whole addiction issue with my son and did not see that coming, didn't have any experience with any of that in my family. And really, it was my relationship with God through Jesus that gave me the strength to be able to find hope in all of that and to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. He says he's our rock for a reason, right? That's right. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your journey with your son Chase's addiction. I know that you pointed out in your bio that you felt like as parents, you had some issues with recognizing the addiction. You had some issues with maybe thinking that you made some parenting mistakes. Obviously, the love for your son was there, but yet somehow he slipped through the cracks and ended up in that world. So maybe you could expand a little bit on that. There'll be some in our audience that perhaps deal with that on a daily basis on their own. There'll be others who may not even know what's going on in their life. So what would you tell them about how that came to be and the insights that you can provide? I will just start off by saying I'm still learning, man. (laughs) I'm still learning every single day and you never figure it all out. You know what I mean? There's so many layers and it is so complex, but Chase was diagnosed ADD, ADHD early on. And there's definitely a correlation there. and, And there's a lot of different ways you can look at it. We resisted putting him on medication early, got a lot of pressure. He just had a tough time focusing in the classroom. We knew he was going to have issues in school if we could not figure out some kind of way to address that. And he could be very hyperactive at times. He was diagnosed, and we did eventually put him on a very low dosage of Concerta, the lowest dose that we felt like we could, that our doctor recommended. And then as he would go through growth spurts, we would bump it up. I could tell when he go through a growth spurt, I could see he would start doing some things that would be sort of bizarre, acting out in class mm-hmm. and things that were out of character for him. 
And I especially remember that in middle school. And so we bump it up just a little bit. So I don't know. I can't really say, was it the medication? Is it the uh, impulsivity that people who are ADD, ADHD deal with? What was it that led to the addiction? Where does that connection there? I don't know 100% for sure. I can only really speculate about that and and try to come up with some theories, but he was doing pretty good. He was doing pretty good up until really about his sophomore year in high school. And his grades began to slip and he seemed to be developing an attitude more rebellious and just trying to think. He was getting into a little bit of trouble, just making some bad judgment decisions and nothing really major. But it all was adding up for me and I could see these warning signs and I didn't know what was going on with him being our first child. I thought maybe this is just what teenage boys go through sometimes. And to be honest, that may have been part of it, especially early on. But I have a military background, uh, like you mentioned earlier. And I felt like a military school might be a good option for him. I felt like the discipline and the structured environment would be good with him, for him with his uh, ADHD. And so we transferred him in the middle of his junior year to a, a military school that's a short drive, a couple of hours away from us. Yeah, and a lot of interesting things happened there. <laughs> it didn't necessarily get on track right off the bat. He got into some trouble there, definitely more trouble than he'd been into before, but still nothing legal, nothing, not getting any kind of arrest or anything like that. But had an outstanding football season his senior year there, and he did bring his grades up while he was there and, and graduated on time. So there were some pluses to mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I think it can be a challenge. God creates each of us uniquely and for a purpose and for a plan. And we don't always understand why we see things certain ways or why we act certain ways, but God has created us. There's no question about that. And so even in spite of the struggles that you saw Chase having, you would still be able to see the gifts and the callings in his oh, life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He was very much loved by a lot of people. He had a lot of friends. He was a quiet kid, easygoing, but had a kind of an odd sense of humor, made people laugh, liked to make people laugh. And people just loved Chase. They didn't have an enemy in the world. And aside from that, he was very good with computers. I have a photo of him that's on the cover of a book I wrote about him. It's a self-portrait. And he took the picture himself with a cell phone and edited it himself without any training. And there were many times I would say, I would sit down with Chase and say, Chase, I need to edit this photo for something I'm doing here. I'm creating this logo. Can you help me out? No training whatsoever. And he knew exactly what to do. And I'm like, how did you learn how to do that? I don't know. I just know how to do it. <laughs> so very talented athletically, not a big kid, not not big enough to be a division one athlete, but just very quick and agile and great hand-eye coordination. So yeah, I agree with you that I believe that God puts us all here for a purpose and gives us all kinds of gifts, unique gifts that we all mm -hmm. have, a unique set of gifts and personality that makes each one of us an individual, a unique individual. And there are people that you can reach that there's no way I can reach because of that uniqueness and, and, the, and vice versa. And so God is it's just amazing to me when I look at people, just his design, when I look at his design and, and the overall, the complexity of it and how the pieces of the puzzle all work together. Yeah, amen to that 100%.
So when you look back on Chase's struggle with addiction, do you have any insight on how that actually started? Like, was it because he got an injury in football and had to go on painkillers or was it just peer pressure or did like, do you have any insights? Did you ever get to talk to him about that? Never did get to talk to him about it. And man, a lot of theories again, without any real clear answers, but he did have a little go-kart wreck with an, like an off-road type go-kart his sophomore year right kind of before all this started and he flipped this go-kart over he was all strapped in had a helmet on and everything but his elbow flew out and struck the ground and he had over 21 pins and screws in that arm they rebuilt that arm that happened in the spring and that fall he was back playing football i got 98 percent of his range of motion back but I, i'll never forget when he was in recovery and the nurse said here's this little red button and when you feel some pain you mm -hmm. hit that red button yeah. and it's only going to give you the morphine every so 15 minutes or so and man he was punching that red button as hard as he could go <laughs> and i've always wondered did that play a, a role I think there was some self-esteem issues or if you want to call it confidence issues related to his ADHD. I think he felt like he wasn't smart. He was smart. He was smart in different ways. And, and I think a lot of ADHD kids are thinking so fast they get bored sitting in a classroom environment. Yeah. And so their mind begins to wander. But I feel like our system is really broken in that way because it doesn't address that issue, particularly for boys. Seems like that's a big issue that a lot of boys have. So I can't really say for sure which one of those things, there are definitely some clues, but which one of those things was the thing that caused it? And maybe it was a combination of things. Certainly as a parent, I was very strict and came down hard sometimes. And I think if I had it to do over again, I would try to create an environment where he would feel more comfortable coming to me with any kind of problems. And he would go to his mother instead. And then she would tell me, hey, Chase, he's scared to talk to you about this, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. And I did change up my relationship with our youngest son because of that. And I decided to let him just sit back and watch him make the mistakes or what I felt like were mistakes and not say anything. And that began to change probably about his sophomore to junior year of high school. And when he got to college, he called me and said, hey, dad, I got some questions about some things going on here with girls. Like, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? It really shocked me that he thought that I would have the answers to that or that I would be the guy he would go to. And since then, our relationship has really grown. We've grown a lot closer. And he questions me quite often. And he asks me questions. He calls me up and asks me questions about things. What do you think about this or that? And it, it, it's humbling to me that he would think enough a dad to really to call me and to ask me those kind of questions. There's such a parallel there with our relationship with Christ. I've said it many times before, we'll never surprise God with what we bring to him. He knows everything anyway. I mean, you're not going to surprise him, right? Right, you know? right. And just having that openness and that trust in Jesus to know that you can go to him with any issue, with any problem, with any success, with any failure. And just that learning that you got from your initial relationship with your older son, Chase, and how God allowed you to transform to be more like God himself with your second son, that just speaks volumes about the love and the grace and the mercy of God. As hard and as heart-wrenching as it was with your first relationship, God's mercies are new every morning. Yeah, for sure. 
those two boys, while they had a lot of similarities, a very different personality. And Chase was very easygoing, laid back, and it was easy for me to kind of nudge him in a direction. And sometimes I didn't realize, I think, you know, in hindsight, now I can look back and go, Oh, he did that because he thought that's what I expected of him. And Justin was more stubborn. He would push back and he was like, no, I'm not doing that. And I don't care if you like it or not. And that didn't sit well with me in the beginning, but it really made for a better relationship down the road. And anyway, they're just different kids, but they both were Eagle Scouts, both ran track in high school, both played football in high school and at the next level in college. A lot of similarities. In in 2014, life changed for you yeah. with Chase. Maybe you can tell our audience what happened there. Yeah, Chase, he went to college on a football scholarship, a Division II school, and immediately gravitated to a rough crowd there in, in college and dropped out early on in the second semester of his freshman year, came back home, gravitated to a rough crowd at home. We ended up having an intervention for him here in our home, and through that intervention, we got him into treatment. He spent 30 days in treatment, then went to a halfway house and bounced around to several different halfway houses. But then he was beginning to relapse. I got a call one day from one of the halfway houses. Hey, uh, Mr. Rogers, you need to come get Chase. We're kicking him out. He had done some things to make them mad. And I still was learning about addiction. Had I known then what I know now, I wouldn't have gone and picked him up. Or at least mm -hmm. I wouldn't have let him move back in our house. But I did go pick him up and he moved back in here at home. And I, I believe that eventually that could have contributed to the relapse. Not to say that it might not, it might have happened anyway. But, you know, just being back here in the house around me, I was doing my best to try to love on Chase and try to figure out our relationship and all. But I'm sure I did things that triggered him at times. And so I could sense that he was relapsing and I didn't know what to do about it. I just had not done my homework about addiction. And he came to me one day and said, hey, dad, I'm uh, headed in a bad direction again. And I said, I know Chase. And he said, oh, I don't know what to do about it, but I know I need to get away from this group of people that's a bad influence on me. And he said, taking a job transfer to Florida back to the area where I was in treatment, told me when he was planning to leave. And then I told my wife, Kim, and she made Chase promise that he would come by and have a meal with us before leaving for Florida, which was where he was in rehab. But we're kind of just sitting around here that afternoon and waiting on him to show up, and he didn't show up. And I had a phone call from one of my friends. I, I went outside and was standing out in our front lawn talking to my friend on the cell phone when a police cruiser pulled up to the curb in front of our house. And I hung up my phone conversation and then met the officer in our driveway and that's where he told me, Mr. Rogers has been a bad wreck out on our 40 and your son Chase died at the scene. And mm. of course, that was really tough. Can't tell you how many times right there where we were standing, I would throw the football to Chase and throw it just out mm. of reach and watch him use athleticism to make diving catches. We spent a lot of time together when he was growing up. I would hunt and fish with him and camp and all of that. Anyway, the officer, I invited him in. I came in and he came in behind me and I broke the news to my wife and, and our younger son, Justin, who was in the eighth grade at the time. And of course we cried for a while. We all cried for a long time. And, and then we began to ask questions and the officer told us that he didn't really have a lot of information that day, but we heard a rumor that there had been a going away party the night before. There'd been all kinds of drugs and alcohol consumed. They woke up late the next morning feeling hungover and they felt like it would be good to go to the park, smoke some marijuana to help them cope with their nausea. Now, I did look at part of the police report. I've not seen the whole thing, but 
Part of it did in the early parts of that police report. They did, according to the police report, go to the park near our home here. It's with, really within walking distance. And they smoked marijuana there together in the park. And then Chase let this girl, she was 18 years old. He had dated her at one time. He let her get behind the wheel of the car. He got in the front passenger seat and another kid got in the back seat. And they left the park, grabbed a quick bite to eat, and then ride out onto I-40 in rush hour traffic. They only went a couple of miles before she lost control of his car in a curb, running about 70, and ended up, ran off the road, hit a tree, and Chase died either on impact or shortly thereafter. Yeah, that's uh, terrible news to receive at any point in anybody's life. Absolutely. We had talked about plan and purpose in someone's life, and I know that your experiences with your son Chase prompted you, I, w- I would say, to launch your activity into recovery and helping families understand that process and so on. And I noticed on your website that you offer an online course to people to help them understand that you have a free download of your book about Chase. So maybe you could tell me about those two things as we kind of wrap this up here. Okay. Yeah. The online course is out there. I think I've got the price set at $37, which is, there's a lot of video there. And, and there's a lot of forms that they can fill out and a lot of worksheets, I guess I would say, that go with it. And it's a great course for parents or any other. It could be guardian, like the grandparents who have a son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter battling drug or alcohol addiction. What I found out, I tell people that I I know the secret to long-term recovery now, and it's the family. (laughs) It's the family. (laughs) It's a big secret, right? But I, I think for me, I didn't get it. And I think a lot of parents don't get it early on. We have this idea in our head, and I think logically we know it's not right, exactly right. But our idea is that, hey, I'm going to send my kid off to treatment. They're going to fix my kid and send him back, and he's going to get better. But if we don't do the work on ourselves, we really don't have any control over the decisions that our children make, particularly our adult children. And if we don't do the work on ourselves, then the family dynamics don't change. They go to treatment, they come back, and that can contribute to a relapse. So parents a lot of times fall into, for lack of a better term, enabling behaviors. I prefer to use the term setting healthy boundaries. We need to learn how to set and maintain healthy boundaries so that we're not doing things for our adult children that they could be and should be doing for themselves. It keeps them stuck and we end up in a codependent relationship. It keeps us as the parents stuck as well. And when you turn that focus in on your own personal relationship with God and growing spiritually, it frees up your child to get, it gives them their best opportunity at recovery, no guarantees, mm-hmm. but it gives them their best opportunity at recovery and help us become more like the people that we need to be, that we were created to be. So there's pain in all of this and pain is an opportunity for growth. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's a website where people can go to uh, get that information? The website is thefamilyrecoverycoach.com thefamilyrecoverycoach.com. And I'm also now offering an online group coaching program for parents who are in that situation. I'm launching it now. So that's something that I'm offering. I feel like accountability is a big piece of this for parents as well once they learn Mm -hmm. it, because you can know the right things to do, but still fall back into the old habits. So the accountability is a big piece of it. And then I've just recently, I've got, gotten trained as an interventionist. 
And it really ties into the things that I do with the families because a lot of times I've referred people out for interventions because they get in a situation where it's really touch and go and they need the intervention to get their son or daughter into treatment. And then while they're in treatment, it's time for the family to work on their issues, the things that they need to improve on. Yeah, absolutely. So one final question for you. What's the one thing you would tell people about God? About God? Man, I would say God loves you and he forgives you for whatever you've done in the past. So we tend to be our own worst enemies sometimes. We beat up on ourselves and we don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes and the same sins over and over again. But God forgives us. He loves us. And he's like the perfect father. None of us have a perfect biological father. They're all flawed. And I'm really blessed that I had a great dad. But I know there are people out there that it seems like people's concept of God is often shaped by Mm -hmm. the relationship that they have with their biological father. And I would say, if you didn't have a good relationship with your biological dad, Don't let that be an impediment to your relationship with the perfect dad who loves you unconditionally and he will guide you in the right direction. And it's just like a good dad will sometimes let you make mistakes and let you have to struggle a little bit so that you can grow. But he's there for you, man. He's there for you the whole time. Amen. Sound wisdom in those words for sure. Thanks so much for being on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I hope that our audience really gets in touch with you and and really understands what your message is. God bless you. Thanks for having me, Johnny. It's been a pleasure. I don't know all the answers To life's mystery But I know when I call on his name reaches down and touches me oh he reaches down and touches me this world can make you anxious this world can make you feel just when i thought i was all on my own he reaches down and comforts me down and comforts me So I will hold on to his hand Where he leads me I will go To the valleys he will let me know He is a comforter of my soul Oh, he's a comforter
I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. We at Refuge Ministries are so blessed by the success of Refuge Freedom Stories and podcasts. In addition, we focus on youth prison ministry, release kits, and many other diverse outreaches to the needs of our community. As a nonprofit, there are many costs involved, however, and we are asking for your support. Financial gifts can be made via our website at www.refugeministriescanada.com or by calling 519-701-0108. Your giving makes this work possible, and we thank you in advance for your support. That's 519-701-0108. God bless you.